Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, more than 10,000 people are still missing in Libya after Storm Daniel wreaked havoc in the country's east and already claimed 5,000 lives. Meanwhile, in Morocco, the number of those killed by the country's deadliest quake in six decades is nearing 3,000. Russian President Putin has met North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in the country's far east. And the United States is advancing a prisoner swap deal with Iran. We begin in Africa. More than 5,000 people are presumed dead and another 10,000 are missing in Libya after floods caused by Storm Daniel burst dams and swept away buildings. Two dams and four bridges collapsed in the worst affected city of Derna, submerging much of the area when Storm Daniel brought intense downpours over the weekend. The United Nations says emergency teams are being mobilized on the ground as international emergency aid arrives. Catherine Drew reports. As Storm Daniel brought a deluge of water from above, two dams on the Wadi Derna River burst, sending millions of tons of water downstream towards the port city of Derna. Torrents rushed towards the sea with homes, cars and bridges swept away. One official from eastern Libya estimates a quarter of the city has been destroyed. Hundreds of bodies are reported to be piling up, waiting to be identified. With many roads and communication infrastructure destroyed, there are fears the full extent of the damage is not yet clear. Derna is literally facing a crisis with reports of more than 11,000 martyrs. It's a disastrous situation with the flooding and the loss of lives. Inland areas such as Albeda were also badly affected, with people trapped in their homes. The International Federation of the Red Cross estimates around 10,000 people are missing. What we can confirm now that, that thousands of people have lost their lives, thousands of people have lost their homes, and uh, thousands of families are stranded or, or lost. Government in Tripoli has sent a plane with 14 tons of aid to the eastern region, while supplies have also begun arriving from Turkey and other nations. The humanitarian needs are huge and much more uh, beyond the uh, abilities of the Libyan Red Crescent and even beyond the abilities of the, of the government. Uh, that's why the government in the East has issued uh, uh, the um, international uh, appeal for uh, support. Some believe the disaster has been exacerbated by a lack of investment in roads and services, while building standards and other safety regulations regarding dams and other infrastructure has taken a back seat in a country riven by political chaos for over a decade. Catherine Drew on Libya's deadly flooding. In Morocco, more than four days after a powerful earthquake struck the western part of the country, the full extent of the tragedy continues to unfold. The government says the death toll has risen to over 2,900. Search efforts are still underway, but frustration is growing over the slow pace of recovery efforts. Giles Gibson has more from Marrakesh. There's a relative sense of calm here in Marrakesh, although residents do have that nagging thought in the back of their minds that there could be some sort of an aftershock after such a huge earthquake has struck their country. 
Meanwhile, in some remote villages in the high Atlas Mountains, there is a little bit of relief arriving with search and rescue teams on the ground and also food and water and tents being handed to some of the survivors. Although there are also communities high up in the mountains who have not yet had any help whatsoever. They are still waiting for search and rescue teams and relief efforts to reach their very isolated communities. There is also assistance arriving from all over the world. There are teams from the United Kingdom and Spain and Qatar arriving uh, to search through the rubble, although clearly every hour, every minute that ticks by, there is also a sense that they are losing a little bit of hope each time of finding a survivor trapped under the rubble. Meanwhile, the government here in Morocco is facing accusations from some quarters that it's not accepted enough offers of assistance that have come flooding in from all over the world, although supporters of the government are saying that they are simply being very careful in choosing which partners they are deciding to work with. There's also been an appeal from the International Federation of the Red Cross and Res Red Crescent Societies. Uh, they're asking for more than 110 million US dollars to avoid what they describe as a second wave of disaster. So that is a, a picture that they see could be developing where these isolated communities, once those search and rescue teams have given up hope and once they've packed up their gear, that these communities who've been hit so hard by this earthquake could potentially be left without basic services, without electricity, without water and food as they head into the winter. And so now, as we move into the secondary phase of the response, there is that appeal for money and aid to be sent to Morocco to avoid that secondary wave of disaster. That was Giles Gibson reporting from Marrakesh near the epicenter of Friday's earthquake. More from Morocco. The kingdom has mobilized its military in the wake of the devastating earthquake. Cambran has reached the Asni military field hospital near the worst hit areas and had this report. An army hospital at the foot of the Atlas Mountains. People who have lost everything find shelter and medical assistance. They talk of the night when their world caved in, of loved ones lost and an uncertain future. Saida was one of the lucky ones. She and her family of 15 made it out alive. In Asni, there isn't a single inhabitable house. Our entire village needs to be built from scratch. We don't know how long we will live here. The authorities are focusing on the rescue of survivors and the search for the bodies. The facilities here have x-ray machines, a pharmacy, a traumatology tent and even an operating theater. The injured arrived in ones and twos in ambulances, receiving attention as word begins to spread that the hospital is up and running. This military hospital was set up in less than 48 hours to help the many survivors trapped in the Atlas Mountains. It has the capacity for around a thousand people and beyond the physical injuries, there is also a psychiatrist here to help with the trauma of a tragedy that will be difficult to forget. With many villages still unreachable, authorities are accessing remote areas by helicopter and bringing basic supplies like food and water. As tremors continue and cause further rock slides closing roads, many obstacles remain. With national and international help beginning to arrive in some of the disaster zones, the fading hopes of finding more victims alive rise a little. That was Ken Brown taking a closer look at the field hospital near the epicenter in Morocco.
Now turning to Asia, Russian President Vladimir Putin has met North Korean leader Kim Jong Un in Russia's Far East. Hours ahead of the meeting, North Korea launched two ballistic missiles off its east coast. Alyosha Milankovic has more. What we know is that at the beginning, earlier in the morning, Vladimir Putin, together with the leaders of a Russian space program, actually showed several details or several buildings and facilities of that Vostochny Cosmodrome. Just to mention that that's Russia's only civilian cosmodrome. Apparently, Russia would like to help uh, North Korea to develop its space program. North Korea tried to have several launches of its satellites uh, into orbit in the past several years, but none of them was successful. So North Korea is apparently interested in that. In the delegation of the North Korea, there was a military representative, Minister of Defense as well, just the same on the Russian side. A Russian Minister of Defense uh, was present. There is, uh, we would say, a wide speculation that the presence of those military military officers and ministers of defense would uh, show that those two countries actually have discussed the military cooperation as well. Well, from the standpoint of uh, both North Korea and Russia, those two countries are currently uh, among the most sanctioned countries in the world. North Korea, of course, is maybe the most sanctioned country in the world. And uh, it is a big question what actually the United States can do anymore to harm North Korea. And from the Russian point of view, that's, that's the same. So uh, they are not considering these threats from the US in a very serious manner. And there are several analyses which I've just maybe uh, one hour ago seen here in Russia that this step uh, towards making closer ties or military closer ties between North Korea and Russia is just a Russian response to United States decision from a few days ago to deliver to Ukraine long-range missiles and that the United States will not object Ukraine using those missiles on targets which are on the Russian territory. So that might be one of the reasons for making these two countries, North Korea and Russia, uh, militarily closer than before. That was Alosha Milankovic reporting from Vladivostok. Staying in Asia, the U.S. has issued a sanctions waiver for banks to transfer $6 billion of frozen Iranian funds from South Korea to Qatar, paving the way for the release of five American citizens held by Iran. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told Congress that the money would provide limited benefit to Iran as it could only be used for humanitarian trade. Washington is also ready to release five detained Iranian citizens in a prisoner swap. Essen Kivani has more from Tehran. The Biden administration issued a waiver for international banks. The waiver allows the banks to transfer six billion U.S. dollars of frozen Iranian money from South Korea to Qatar without the fear of U.S. sanctions. In addition, Washington has agreed to release five Iranian citizens held in the United States. Iran's ambassador to Qatar said on Tuesday that the two countries are in the final stages of the prisoner swap. Iran says it can use the released money to buy any commodities, not only food and medicine. Regarding how we spend our released assets, the Islamic Republic of Iran can unlimitedly buy and use any non-sanctioned commodities. This is based on the agreement and there's no issue with food and medicine. Kanani added that the agreement could have been reached earlier 
if Washington had not tied it to other issues such as the negotiations to revive the 2015 nuclear deal. As soon as the money transfer is complete, the five U.S. citizens will leave Iran for Doha, the capital city of Qatar. Qatar had played a key role of mediator in the deal. Uh, three of the five U.S. citizens, Iranian Americans, Siamak Namazi, Emad Sharghi and Morad Tahbaz, have been imprisoned in Iran for at least five years. The identities of the two other prisoners have not been made public at their family's request. One of them is believed to be a woman. That was Essen Kivani reporting from Tehran. Still in Asia, it was a pivotal day in Israel on Tuesday as the country's entire 15-judge high court panel convened for the first time in the country's 75-year history. Their mission to hear appeals against and for an amendment to a basic law that gives the government more power and weakens the courts. How the judges will eventually rule and the response to their ruling may determine the future stability of Israel. Stephanie Fried reports in Jerusalem. All 15 Supreme Court judges convened for Tuesday's hearing because it's one of the most consequential in Israel's history. The hearing boils down to a clash between the country's executive or government branch versus its judicial or legal branch. Government ministers and parliamentarians maintain that as officials elected by the people, they have jurisdiction over lawmaking and governmental appointments without court intervention. Opponents of the judicial overhaul say that interpretation endangers Israel's democratic nature, the preservation of civil and human rights, and protection against corruption. Some government ministers have hinted they may defy any court ruling that alters or strikes down the amendment they voted on in July. If that happens, protests that have gripped the country since January are likely to intensify. It could be months before the judges hand down a decision. Some legal experts predict the panel will opt for a compromise that calls for reworking the basic law amendment. But again, the government's response to any high court ruling will set the tone in Israel for the months and possibly years to come. That was Stephanie Fried in Jerusalem. Finally, in North America, Moscow's representative at the United Nations has criticized Washington's decision to send deadly cluster munitions to Ukraine. William Denslow reports from New York. This Security Council meeting was called by Russia, and its representative at the United Nations accused the West of adopting scorched-earth policies around the world. Moscow's strongly condemned Washington's decision to send depleted uranium shells and cluster munitions to Ukraine. They clearly don't have any shred of decency left. They didn't have any. Indeed, when they razed uh, towns to the ground in Yugoslavia, Libya, Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan. So I suppose why should they have a shred of decency now when they're conducting this proxy war against Russia in Ukraine? China's representative warned that the continued flow of arms into Ukraine will hurt mediation efforts. We hope that the parties concerned will respond positively to the expectations and calls from the international community to maintain calm and restraint, meet each other halfway, seek consensus, and avoid aggravating tensions. The UN's High Representative for Disarmament Affairs warned that all parties had a duty to protect civilians under humanitarian law.
Izumi Nakamitsu added that the conflict in Ukraine had brought unbearable suffering and urged the international community to make every effort to strive for peace. William Denslow in New York. Before we go, here are the headlines again. More than 10,000 people are still missing in Libya after Storm Daniel wreaked havoc in the country's east. Over 5,000 have died. Meanwhile, in Morocco, the number of those killed by the country's deadliest quake in six decades is nearing 3,000. Russian President Putin has met North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in the country's far east. And the United States is advancing a prisoner swap deal with Iran to bring back five Americans detained by Tehran. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.